Hi, everybody, and welcome to season two. Dose two. Season two premiere of Horror, Run, and Crime. Welcome back. HWC. Yeah, we're trying to slowly get it to be HWC, you know, because it's going to be one of those things like if you know, you know, you know, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully. So we got a good story um, coming up, but before we get into that, so our two minute talk of non-crime thing, I want to say real quick, um, I sat down yesterday to do research on a crime story. But as you know, I slowly get distracted very easily when it comes to like tabloid stuff. Was it TikTok? <laughs> Snapchat. Okay. Um, but it popped up the story and it kept saying like, kept talking about um, Cameron Diaz now is coming out and saying like what happened with her and JT. Ooh, and tea. saying basically it's you know saying without saying you know tell me he cheated without telling me he cheated and it's she's coming out and saying like basically she got cheated on by him with jessica beale <gasps> oh my god the- they, they went to the golden jessica beale and jt went to the golden globes together three days after they broke up so i was just like oh my god and it was um, all these other journalists and stuff that you know how Snapchat they talk and stuff. Oh yeah. But they're basically saying that. And then um we and you already heard Brittany's about to spill some tea on him about oh what God. really happened. I'm about to book. run to about to run to Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> and they said that he was getting scared about whatever Brittany was gonna stay say. And then now yes, Cameron Diaz. And then also they were saying like all the interviews that Justin Timberlake did on Ellen, you can't find them anymore. Talking about the Cameron Diaz stuff, like they're just gone. Really? And <gasps> then um, also saying like all of a sudden, like the rumors of Justin Timberlake holding hands with somebody else while he was with Jessica Biel. Yes. Um, clearly they're still together, but it got that got shut down real quick. And like he had to give a apology out and... It was not that long ago, right? No, it it wasn't. So now everyone's like, they, he's kind of starting to be targeted as like a serial cheater. Literally, like, because from what it seems like with the Britney thing is like, he kind of hinted that she cheated on him, but really in reality, River. River. yeah. But in reality, I hear that. Yeah. He's the one that did the cheating. And they made her take the fall for it. Yeah. And then if he cheated on Cameron Diaz, which Cameron Diaz can tell me literally anything and I will believe her. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I will. Well, yeah, because she's best friends with our best friend, Drew Merriman. Exactly. Like, the, I know I'm not even kidding. That's a, a main reason on why I'm like, she just seems like very trustworthy. You know what I mean? Like, I would trust her. I like Justin Timberlake. So I thought at least, I don't know. I'm the jury's out on that, but, um, well, there's a lot of respect for him if all this stuff becomes true. I know. Um, And especially it looks bad too, because of the whole thing with his like co-star that recently happened that you were talking about with like, you know, people saying he was like a little too touchy feely with her too. I'm like, dang JT, like, like keep it in your pants, man. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but like Brittany, Cameron Diaz, Jessica Biel, these are all very hot women. They're not like right. Like, is he okay? <laughs> like, like, why is he like? Why would he feel the need to uh, to cheat on any of those people? Those know. are like some of the most like wanted people in the entire world. And this brings us full full circle. Ding ding ding. Back to the conversation we had last Friday. Of why I stick with Donnie Wahlberg over JT. Uh, You did say that. You were talking about that. And, you know, I'm coming around to that idea. The more and more deeper we get into uh, Justin Timberlake's life, apparently. Because I would have been a JT over Donnie just because, you know, I had the little little in-sync cds when i was younger and i was kind of that was more your era yeah yeah so i was more into that but now i'm like when especially now after seeing um them live i'm like okay maybe i'm moving more towards donnie (laughs) so um yeah me and Kay and my daughter went to the mixtape tour part two party still continues 
Um, and it was NKOTB and Vogue, Salt and Peppa, and Rick Astley. And it was a bomb diggity concert. And I'm going to try to tell this really quick because I know you guys want to just get to the true crime. But I have to say, um, StubHub, fuck, fuck off. Fuck them. Okay. Still um, never got those. Still never got that the email. Tickets, got the receipt for the tickets. I was having issues with that email. We called. We told them. They said, yes, we'll send in the tickets over right now. Never showed up. My daughter's having an anxiety attack because they're missing the show. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm getting frustrated. Crystal's on the phone trying to figure it out why we're in line trying to get past the gate. And all of a sudden, some angel that works at Little Caesar Arena came up and asked us what the problem was. I showed him my phone, showed him the seats, showed him... He said, come with me. And we're like, um, okay, got us through security, got us through everything we need to know, need to do. Maybe he was walking us to our seats, you know, making it okay. We get to the, what do they call it? The Raymond section or Rayheim section. It's like a little fancy bar lounge. He says, go through these doors over 126, make a right, about 12 rows down and six seats down. Congratulations, you've been upgraded. We went from upper bowl 219 nosebleed to about seven rows from the floor, 12 rows back. So our seats were definitely up. At one point, I think I could smell Donnie. He was so close. Like, <laughs> I know at first for one minute, I thought he was about to run up and be like right near us. Like they were super close. Like this was such a freaking blessing in disguise because I thought I was like, damn, are we not going to be able to get in? Because like it was such a fiasco. And then the lady on the phone told me that she would transfer the tickets to my email. And you know what? They never even came. To this day, I still have not gotten them. So fuck you, StubHub. I'm never buying from StubHub. Um, also, I want to say that I went to this concert. It was New Kids, Boys and Men, and Paula Abdul about four years ago, three years ago, um, right before pandemic. So 19, maybe 18. I don't know. It was a while back. And then I went last year with my friend Chrissy, me, Charlotte, and Chrissy went and they came with uh, Salt and Peppa, um, Naughty by Nature, Debbie Gibson, Tiffany. That was really fun. And then this year, I went with Crystal and my daughter. And I want to tell you, like, New Kids on the Block, they deliver every freaking concert. Like, all of them. Like, all these throwbacks. I love going to them, like, every year. This is the fourth time I've seen New Kids on the Block in my life. The first time I was like 12, so it was super exciting. But like, dude, yeah. they were they, they were so good. Like, I didn't know what to expect because like I had seen them perform and stuff, but not really like any time recently or anything like that. So I didn't know what to expect. They killed it. Oh my god. Their dancing was on point. They all have beautiful, amazing voices. The energy was high. Like, I was like, damn, they're so good. The abs, uh, you yes. know. <laughs> literally. But they just have they literally have a good time on stage. Like they're like when they get on stage, it's almost like they're 12 again. They just they're running, bouncing, jumping, dancing, singing. They're just Oh, yeah. And you can tell it's like they literally enjoy enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. For real. You can you can definitely tell. Yeah, it was so such a good concert. I'm going to hang up this and I have to go watch Blue Bloods tonight. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Stay in support. (laughs) Okay, so now that we got the non-true crime out of the way. Yes. um, Well, first and foremost, hello, Dax Shepard. Hello. Also, I was listening to Dak's show today, Armchair Experts, and it kind of hurt a little bit because I heard him say um, that there was a group of them and they were watching, um, was it Hereditary? Freaky movie. Which one was it? What's the one with the human centipede? Human centipede? That's not the name of it. Oh, there is a human centipede movie. Well, they're all kidnapped and they were sewed together. Yeah, yeah. It's called Human Centipede. <laughs> you hit it right on the nose. Then <laughs> mm, that's not the one I'm thinking of. I don't think that's the name of it, is it? I'm, I'm like 99% sure. Wait. Okay. Well, anyway, maybe it was hereditary then. But he wasn't getting into it. And he talked about how he left a movie in the middle of it and went for a bike ride instead. <laughs> nice. And then he said that he's not really big into horror movies just because they don't scare him and he just doesn't get into it. And I'm like, 
oh well i know he likes some true crime stuff so hopefully that still gives us an end to listen to our show yeah. come on dax we shut you out every freaking episode you have to listen to us <laughs> So, but it, anyways. there is a movie human i just googled it there is human centipede movie i don't know if that's what you're talking about but that's where they sew their mouths to their movies yeah. i watched that movie once and i still shiver every time i think about it <laughs> speaking of shivers um our story today is well it's not a happy ending no most of the most of our stories sadly are not happy endings. <laughs> I was kind of hoping we weren't going to bring that part up. Yeah, yeah, you know, we don't, we're not we're not kind of a we're not that kind of a show. Sadly, <laughs> before we but get into know, it, oh, go go ahead. I was gonna say, do what know what makes me happy? <gasps> we were gonna say the same thing. Go ahead, tell them because I know Malibu Splash makes me happy too. So good. You guys, if you've not tried Malibu Splashes yet, you really got to get on the train. They're delish. I am going with strawberry coconut tonight. Yum. That is, that's my second favorite. My personal favorite is the passion fruit, the purple one. So good. Yum. They're delicious. They never get old and they're, they're like the perfect summer drink too. Well, cheers to season two. Yes. Cheers. Yes. So today... Um, we are, well, we're taking it back and taking it forward. We got, a kind of a few stories wrapped into one and it is, takes place in Detroit um, on a street called Auburn street. And this kind of is a famous street, but not for any good kind of reasons. And this is actually the 90 year anniversary today, of, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, for some reason, just like out of habit, was going to say, you know, happy anniversary. But then I was like, oh, wait, (laughs) it's kind of like it's not it's not a happy anniversary. It's a sad anniversary. Yeah. But yeah, 90 years ago today, um, shit went down. It sure did. (laughs) It sure did. Um, And thank you to Margo. I believe Margo requested this one. From Waterford, Michigan. Thanks for the request, girl. All right. So taking it way back to the summer of 1929. Big ass tragedy kind of took place with one family. Um, They were Italian immigrants and they lived on this Detroit street of St. Aubin. So... The father's name was Benny Evangelist, and Benny, he was sometimes referred to as Benjamino Evangelista. I'm assuming that's his, like, Italian version of his name. Very Italian. (laughs) Yes, very Italian. For some reason, every time I, like, say something, like, Italian, I put my fingers in this little position. I know you guys can't see, but Lo can see me. That's so stereotypical of you. I'm so sorry. I know. <laughs> Would that make my Armalan listeners upset? I don't know. Carlos, please forgive her. Carlos, I do it out of love. You know, she knows not what she does. That's true. It's true. I do not. <laughs> um, but yes. So Benny first came to the United States in 1902. And throughout the years, he definitely made a name for himself as a mystic. Sounds very uh, mysterious and cool. <laughs> um, in fact, some called Benny a cult leader. And as he received a lot of money just from all these people who followed him and who believed in his self-proclaimed like profit abilities, Um, They kind of like lined up to see him. He claimed that God gave him visions, which came to him from specifically 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. That's always seems to be big time um, in all these stories. And he says that he got these visions every single night. He even went as far as to write a whole book about what he saw from the visions. Um, Now, a lot of people swore by Benny's methods he had also garnered his, you know, his fair share of enemies in Detroit. 
kind of might be one of the leading reasons into what we're going to talk about here shortly. But, you know, he, he just, I feel like when someone claims that they have all these like psychic abilities and like people pay him money to like, tell them, you know, tell them basically what to do and their futures and, you know, all this stuff. I, I feel like it's probably guaranteed that you're going to make some enemies if someone's you know, not so happy with what you have to say, or you might tell them something and then it doesn't come true. So I can only imagine um, that he had his fair share of haters. In early July of 1929, um, a neighbor actually discovered the nearly decapitated body of Benny Evangelist at his own desk. The bloody bodies of his wife and four children were also found and they were in their beds and the horror does not stop there all six victims appeared to have been killed with an axe uh which kind of just only adds to the more brutal nature of it and to this day the murders remain unsolved and uh july 3rd uh the night before the murders took place uh he had made a call to his watchman uh, of a house that was being demolished. He told the watchman he had purchased all of this salvageable lumber from a wreck, and he would arrange for the wood to be picked up and delivered to his home. The plan was that either Nicholas would meet the truck the next morning to pay the delivery man. Then he and his family were murdered later that night, but the delivery man, he was a no-show. Um, He had planned to have the money to pay them the following day, yet no cash was found at the home following the murder. Police were never able to locate the name of the delivery company, but suspected money to be a motive. According to an article posted on July 3rd by the United Press, Evangelist's head had been completely severed from his body and was on a chair near the bed in which his and his wife's bodies were found. Benny was 43, Santina was 36, their four children, Angeline, 8, Matilda, 5, J3, and their 18-month-old son, Morrow, were all discovered by a neighbor. God, 18 months. I know. So here's the story from the Associated Press on July 3rd, 1929. Sitting before his desk, also which served as an altar, and his hands folded as though in a prayer, the body of Benny Evangelist, mystic healer and religious fanatic, was found shortly before noon on Wednesday. The head I lay on the floor beside the chair, the bodies of his wife, the four children upstairs, their skulls crushed. Police are working on a theory that the evangelist was the victim of a second religious fanatic, and it is believed that the slayings took place about midnight. Wayne County Coroner James Burgess commented that the paper, that the following morning, this is the most unusual case. A single perverted maniac must have killed them, although it seems impossible that some of their screams would not be heard. A funeral was held on July 6th. A crowd about 3,000 curious residents packed the streets. Police hoped that they could find a suspect at the funeral arresting one man who was acting queerly with excited suspicion, but was released shortly after. The search for the killer continued on July 4th. Every police squad Detroit officer was ordered to join in the citywide search for the killer. Police initially investigated the connection to a murder of a mother and her three children two weeks prior to that, but the connection was not valid. No trace of a weapon was found in the home. Police did find a bloody fingerprint on the door latch. There was a reward for $1,000 being offered by Detroit police for information on Angelo DePaloli. He was arrested the day of the murder with blood-covered knife, but the police couldn't connect him to the family, despite neighbors claiming he was a frequent visitor at the home. In March of 1930, the AP published a report with the headline, Eyewitness to Brutal Detroit Axe Slaying Finally Turns Up. The eyewitness was a dog. 
Oh, I mean, dogs are very trustworthy. (laughs) They are. Here's what the report read. The witness is a shaggy brown mongrel dog, which belongs to the children of Benny and Evangelist. I'm sorry, my light's flickering over here. I see that. (laughs) Scary. Um, The animal disappeared at the time, and uh, Benny and his wife and the four children. um, What made this case so frustrating was that the fact that the crime scene was ruined by the public from the very beginning. With a start like that, it's only to be expected to be a crazy case. This case got so much attention nationwide because of how gruesome it was. It was hard to open the paper in 1929 and see the evangelist family's faces all over the paper. With every lead becoming dead and the suspects dying, this case was never solved. And we were left to try to piece the pieces together and create our own theory of what had happened. Yeah, like that was for sure. That crime was very personal. Like I, I feel like personally, he pissed someone off. Like someone was either was either really really against what he was doing, um, you know, with the whole mystic psychic healer type thing, um, or he had, you know, maybe someone felt screwed out of their money or something like that. So this whole thing is just felt like a setup with the whole you know moving company and all that stuff and the fact that they killed his entire family like I mean to even just kill him obviously is sick but like the whole family like even the little babies like it's just it's so disgusting yeah I you gotta be a pretty dark person and like I said I mean was it a jealous person that was kind of trying to one-up him like in the same kind of you know thing he was going for like you know there can only be one (laughs) right yeah Um, yeah they should have looked into uh who who was in like the same type of business and kind of investigated that if they had any connection or whatever was it a religious fight was it you know i don't know but i mean i i think the children could have been spared like they yeah oh my god and talk about brutal like at and with an axe and then like to completely take off his head like that is that is some crazy shit like that's some dark that's dark it's not like i mean you know shooting people is horrible as it is but like to literally decapitate someone like someone was really pissed off to like go that far so yeah the speculation you know still remains they have yet to discover who did it I don't know if they ever will you know it's been 90 years as of today so the further that the case gets away it's always uh sometimes harder to figure out what happened um although you know I still hope that one day they do figure it out but just yeah just a really effed up story um and uh, yeah people are people are a little bit freaked out when uh they talk about or go near the St. Aubin Street. So yes, that was the first massacre that occurred on St. Aubin Street in Detroit. And yes, I said the first because it uh sadly was not the last one that occurred. Um there were even more cases on that street that kind of just made people think that the entire street was cursed. So the next massacre that kind of took over St. Aubin residence uh, took place years later um, on April 4th, 1990. So there's kind of like a lot of people involved in this particular story. So there are a few different versions. Um, This particular version of the story was taken from the majority of the people that were involved and survived. And besides like the supposed uh, kind of ringleader of the crime, everyone else's story kind of fits together. So in my mind, that kind of seems like the most legit version, you know, majority rules. (laughs) Usually. So the story starts around 3 p.m. with 20-year-old Janet um, 
Now, her real name was not Janet. Um, th- this was just used because there were like threats to her life, I guess, um, after this came out. So they just use a fake name for her. So yeah, we're calling her Janet. <laughs> and her boyfriend, 32-year-old Stephen Owens, they went to hang out with some friends and just kind of, you know, go about and enjoy their day. After hanging out, uh, they wanted to go skating. But first, Stephen wanted to stop back at the house to shave and just kind of, you know, freshen up, get himself together. So they headed back to their 17850 St. Street house. And now somewhere else in Detroit, a 19-year-old named Mark Kaizen was on his way to pick up his friend of two months, um, 18-year-old Tamara Marshall from the Nine Mile and Laser Lasser. I can never say this street and I'm from here. <laughs> Is it Laser Lasser? I always say Laser. Laser. Okay. That's what I, I go with, but. I, yeah, I've lived here my entire life and I just can, I never know how to say that, <laughs> that street name. <laughs> But she was she was around there (laughs) Um, and he picked her up in his mom's black Taurus. Now, after picking Tamara up, they go to pick up their other friend, 20 year old Mark Bells and Jamal Biggs, and they head back to Tamara's house. Which I don't understand that whole like, well, I guess maybe she wasn't at her house. Maybe she was somewhere else. I was thinking like, why did he pick her up from her house to go pick up other people to go back to her house? But maybe she wasn't at her house. Doesn't really say. <laughs> but um, they're all just kind of hanging out, um, you know, doing normal things, uh, having conversations, whatever. Uh, but then the conversation kind of turns and they start talking about wanting to get money, you know? And, you know, not like, hey guys, we should start a business or we should have a lemonade stand or we should go DoorDash. You know, they're, they're talking about robbery. (laughs) DoorDash so big in the (laughs) twenties. Well, this was the nineties, but still, yes. Oh yeah. This did fast forward. Definitely no DoorDash still yet in the (laughs) nineties. Sorry. I was still in 1929. (laughs) There definitely was no DoorDash then. Um, but yeah, their, their idea of making money, um, was a little different than the you know typical way um so tamara said that she knows where they can kind of like rob she's like got the perfect place in mind um and they all agree they're all in they're down to do the robbery and she tells them about her ex-boyfriend steven and his spot and how they can be in and out and grab the stuff and you know make it quick and just get what they need so tamara and kaizen got into the back of not the back so tamara and kaizen got into the black taurus and mark and jamal got into a white coupe and headed over to steven's house so if you don't remember steven is with janet they're the ones who live on the saint alban street So when Tamara and the guys get there, they parked on the corner of McNichol and Tamara got out of the car. As she is walking up to the house, Janet and Steven are walking up the walkway at the same time. And Steven stops to talk to her while Janet goes inside the house. I don't really know what terms they were on relationship wise. I know they were exes, so I'm not sure if they were like friendly or if the conversation was more like, what the hell are you doing here? Couldn't really figure that out. So I'm not sure what the, what the vibe was at that point. Um, So after a few minutes, the conversation leads into the house for 10 more minutes. And then Tamara ends up leaving. Um, And Janet is just kind of upstairs finding something to watch on TV. Then she hears Tamara come back in and yell Stephen's name. It took three calls before Stephen went downstairs to see what was going on because, you know, they weren't expecting that or, you know, they didn't know what was going on. So Tamara then goes upstairs and joins Janet 
And Janet just thinks that it's kind of like a joke that Tamara is now robbing her. Like she thinks like she's not actually robbing me. She's just like, you know, fucking with me or whatever. But then Tamara yells at Janet. You must think you're really bad. You don't think I'll really shoot you. When Janet heard those words and like kind of like just felt the mood change, she definitely realized that this was not a joke um, and that her life was now really in danger, which I can't even imagine. Like if you know this person and like at first you think they're joking and then like I, I like I can't imagine the realization of being like, oh, my gosh, this is not a joke. Like they're actually they actually might shoot me. You know what I mean? Like with somebody that, you know, I don't know. That just has to be like a weird feeling. Not only that, but that's really like ballsy on Tamara on them side because unless you have deadly intent, they know you super well. They know your face. They know he dated you. He knows where you stay. Like, so this, I don't know how it ends yet. You're going to tell us, but this does not sound like a very thought out plan. I'm just going to go ahead and lay that there. Yeah, no, not at all. And I, I didn't even think about it like that. Like what you were just saying, like, yeah, like if her goal was to go rob them, that's actually really stupid because they know her. So like, clearly they would know her name and like area that she lives in at least to like call the cops on her. If she was just robbing them, like, I didn't even think about that. So I wonder if she did already have like a a motive in the back of her mind of, you know, wanting to like kill them or something. Cause that's just stupid. Well, that'd be like me, like one day just saying, I think I'm going to rob Crystal. You know where I live, you know, where my family stays, you know, where my house is, you know, everything about me, you know, where I work, like clearly, you know, my face very well. So there's no, like, (laughs) there's no getting away from you. Like, right. I mean, it's just stupid. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> I didn't even think about that until you just said that. <laughs> so at gunpoint, po- um, you know, Tamara is holding the gun towards Janet um, and Tamara starts searching through her purse. Um, she then leads Janet down the stairway, which leads to the dining room. And in the dining room, she sees Stephen and two others who were already in the house, um, 16-year-old Bobby Lee Frazier and 21-year-old Carl D. Williams. Um, And they were sitting along the wall at gunpoint. Um, And Mark and Jamal were the ones holding the guns to them and like yelling at them to sit against the wall. Janet recalls Tamara showing compassion, but also being like, heartless at the same time I guess she kind of describes this as Tamara like took Janet's rings and necklace but she let her keep the earrings um and she later has the earrings with her but I don't know that I would say that that's like her having compassion personally like maybe she just didn't like the earrings or didn't want them like I don't know that she was doing it out of compassion (laughs) like she has a gun to you and like she's taking your other stuff like and threatening you I don't think there's any ounce of compassion in that but that's just me (laughs) yeah I mean I don't know maybe she didn't see the earrings and just you know right like like unless she like like and I don't I don't think the earrings were like anything sentimental for her like I don't know it was just kind of funny that she looked at it that way but I mean maybe I don't know (laughs) um so when they were done robbing the house uh Tamara told the guys go ahead and kill her I don't know her so obviously there was no compassion because she does know Janet and she just basically was like throwing her life away like yeah just just kill this girl I don't I don't know her like doesn't matter don't want her to you know tell on us whatever just just get rid of her so this might have been a successful robbery but the fact that Stephen he was a pretty well-known dealer in the area 
So even while the robbery was taking place, like people were like a lot of people, like multiple people, not just like a couple, they were knocking at the door while this robbery was happening, trying to make sales with Steven to like buy drugs. So there was a lot going on around this house right now. Um, the guys were able to get rid of one group of people that came up to the door, but the second group um, kind of caught a glimpse of Steven and the others tied up against the wall. And, you know, obviously they got freaked out and started running away because obviously you would do that if you saw people being tied up inside of the house that you're at the door of. So they felt like they had to do something. So Jamal and Mark rounded up the runners and they brought them inside too. Um, so once they got inside, they led the hostages upstairs and they kind of divided them into three different rooms, you know, to make it probably easier for them to have less people at once to deal with. So as this is going on, um, two teens, 18-year-old LaVon Robinson and his friend, uh, whose name was never disclosed, um, they headed to Stephen's house to hang out. So there's just so many people at this point between you know, Stephen and Janet, Tamara and the three guys that she came with, the other two guys that were already in Stephen and Janet's house, the first group of people trying to buy drugs, and then now the second group of people who were trying to buy drugs and are now hostages. And now, you know, enter in these two other teens. There's just a lot going on and a lot of people surrounding this chaos. So yeah, Levon. And the other friend just wanted to go to Stephen's house to hang out. Um, and they did this often when they really didn't have anything to do, you know, just casually wanted to go hang out with their friend, whatever. So they made their way to the back door and an unknown lady was joining them as they were knocking on the door. There was no answer. So they went to the front of the house. They saw that the door was open and from the outside looking in, you can tell that something happened. You know, they could tell that something wasn't right. Something was off in this situation. Jamal was walking back up to the house to make sure that they caught all the people that ran off and joined the new group on the porch. They asked what happened and Jamal says the place was stuck up uh, as he follows them inside the house, which I don't really know. I don't really know what that means. Like he said it was stuck up. Like when I think of stuck up, I think of like Percy or like something like that. But I really don't think that that's what he was trying to say. <laughs> Do you know that what that means? Um, I, place was stuck up. I don't know. This place like is a, stuck up. <laughs> I just think of like, like, like a snob house, like too prissy, too fancy. That's what I think that means. Like to me, that's what that means. But I, I feel like that doesn't fit so but I don't know like I don't know guys let us know if there's a, a different meaning to that but when I was like reading about this I was like that unless he means confusing. like because he says he was walking back to the house to make sure they caught all the people that ran off and joined the new group on the porch they asked what happened Jamal says that place was all stuck up and so maybe meaning like he was telling other people like the house, they're all being at gunpoint. They're all stuck up there. There's like, they're all being held up. Like maybe, but Jamal was the one running. Robbing. The so like, I don't know why he would tell them that as they were going in. I mean, maybe he was though, like to give them a warning or something. Cause it was probably getting out of hand with how many freaking people were there. <laughs> I don't know, I don't but, know. but, but apparently the house was stuck up. So <laughs> So Mark now comes down from upstairs and he orders everyone to close their eyes. Levon pleaded that they, you know, he's like, we didn't see anything. We won't say anything. Like, please just let us go. Please, like, basically spare us our lives. You know, we were just coming over to hang out. We have nothing to do with this. We want nothing to do with this. Um now, Mark and Jamal then put both of their guns to the boys' heads and took them down to the basement. While downstairs, um, it was Mark, I'm pretty sure, who killed Levon by the basement stairs. And while his back was turned, the other teen 
made an escape, thankfully. Sadly, Levon was killed, but his friend kind of escaped. So, like, he ran to the porch where Jamal had tried to stop him. And the teen slammed against Jamal and took off running down the street. And somehow also the unknown female that was with them was also to able to escape as well. So two out of three of that group was able to get away, thankfully. Um, but sadly, Levon did die. So while Mark was upstairs, he just so happened to ask Janet how old she was Um Because apparently Janet, she was 20 years old, but she had like a baby face. She looked super young um, and could always pass for for like a younger girl. So she kind of used this to her advantage. And she told Mark that she was 14 years old, you know, probably just trying to do anything to save her life in that situation. And Mark got mad that Stephen would mess with someone so young. And he started to like beat Stephen up, which is sad because obviously she's not actually that young. But I'm like, that's where you and that's where you draw the line, dude. I mean, you just killed a guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm glad that, you know, he's against um, older guys being with children, but <laughs> he literally just shot and killed someone. So then he he came back and told Janet, he's like, I'm going to spare your life. I'm not going to kill you. Um, and he does this because he thinks that she's so young he doesn't want to kill someone who's 14 um but he says in return she couldn't tell anybody he says you can't run your mouth on me because he says he was already on probation and you know he's not trying to get locked up again so tamara yells out to hurry up she tells the guys like hurry up and that she never gets caught doing this stuff and she isn't going to start getting caught now Um, so the house then filled with gunshots as they went room to room, shooting every single person in the head besides Janet. So Janet is the only one aside from those other two teenagers who ran and escaped. So Janet was the only one who lived in there. So when all was said and done and when, you know, Janet knew they were gone and the coast was clear, she climbed onto the roof and she yelled, They shot them all. Um, Mark and Jamal claim that this was just a robbery that went wrong. You know, they say we were just going there, Rob, and we weren't planning on killing anybody. But it's like you killed a lot of people like that was like a full on massacre, like with the amount of people that actually died who were just in that house. People that just came up to the door that you could have just turned away. You know what I mean? Like. I don't I don't know that I believe that it was just planned to be a robbery. Tamara, on the other hand, she has a different version of the story to tell. When asked years later on what happened, she said that she was going to make a sale at Stephen's house because Stephen was this well-known, you know, drug dealer. And she says Mark was actually dating Janet at this time and was also pregnant by him. So very different versions of stories. Tamara had also said that Janet had wanted $300 for an abortion, but he didn't give her the money. So she was turning tricks to make up the money at Steven's house. When they got to the house, Mark told Tamara to tell Janet to come outside, but she refused. When Tamara got to the door, Stephen told her to wait until he finished up with two customers. Um, So she went to the car and waited. But when she went back to the house, Mark followed her inside and he and Janet began to argue. So that ended up causing an argument between Mark and Stephen because, you know, in Tamara's version of the story, Janet is with Mark, not Stephen. Um, So Tamara only wanted the drugs. So she took two kilos off the table and got back into the car with Kazen and left. She also said she told Jamal and Janet to leave, but Jamal told her that Mark told him to stay and Janet refused to leave with Tamara. So (laughs) already very completely different stories, like 1000% opposite. 
Um, Tamara says that she told Janet to hide and then she ended up driving off with Kaizen. She claims that the cops threatened Janet while she was being interrogated. And that's where the other story comes from. You know, she says, oh, well, the cops were just interrogating Janet. So Janet came up with this whole elaborate story, pinning everything on me. Tamara states that she clearly made the story up because Janet was a drug addict and had nothing of value that she would want. You know, basically saying, why would I rob them? They have nothing that I want. Like, they don't have money. Like, there's no reason that I would have wanted to rob them in the first place. Which kind of raises a red flag for me because it's like if he was, if Stephen was this big, well-known drug dealer, I feel like he had to have, you know, he had drugs and he had to have at least a little bit of money. You know what I mean? If all these people constantly were knocking on his door to buy the drugs. So that I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. I feel like you could probably find something that you would have wanted in there to rob them with. Um. She said when she was interrogated, the police beat her while she was in custody and refused her a lawyer. They pushed a pen in her hand, and when she wouldn't write the confession out, they slammed her head into the table. They threatened her by saying one of the guys already flipped on her and she was going down for it all. She also insisted that Mark Kaizen had nothing to do with it at all. He just drove her to the house to make a sale. And she feels bad about him getting caught up kind of just in the middle of everything. And, you know, he was also assaulted while he was in prison, which I will say, you know, I don't know 100 percent for certain if that is true or not, but I will say, you know, if that did happen, that's horrible. And, you know, there was no reason to beat her in any way while she was being interrogated. Yeah. I mean, obviously could be a little, a little aggressive, but I mean, we're also talking about a woman that, uh, is involved, involved in, uh, a massacre here. So I want to take her word with a grand assault on what happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I a hundred percent I believe her, but right, like it's kind of when majority of the people give one version of the story where she's like the ringleader, it's kind of hard to take her version of the story seriously. Again, I guess you never know, but it's just like eh, kind of on the fence. (laughs) Kind of got a little red flag up. None of the stories say where she's like. No, 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 we're not going to hurt anybody. Let's just take the drugs and go. Right. Come on. <laughs> put the guns down. Put them away. This isn't happening. Yeah, she's like not I singing don't hear any, I don't hear any versions of that story, so. Right. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> there is no version of that particular story taking place. <laughs> um, She says that Janet was in on the robbery with Mark and that's why she was left alive and that she also lied about being pregnant which I don't know why she would lie about being pregnant um there's not really any reason for that and then also she said that she wanted an abortion so her story's kind of wishy-washy and kind of all over the place I'm like wait why would she say that she wants an abortion if she wasn't actually pregnant, but she's saying that she's pregnant? There's just so many questions that flow through my head with uh, Tamara's story. Fishy, fishy, spishy, spishy. Mm-hmm. We're, works in uh, every episode. <laughs> um, so Jamal supposedly wrote to Tamara while in jail and told her that evidence had been planted at the scene And that in court, they were told three guns were used when in reality, only one was used. She had her lawyer retest the um, ballistics and it came back that only one gun was used in the massacre, but she was still denied a retrial. That kind of also, that raises uh, an eyebrow like in the other direction because I'm like, well, why would they tell the like jury that there were three guns used 
but even after they tested it, it was confirmed that it was actually only one gun. I don't know. There's there's a lot of just confusion with this story. <laughs> you mean um, not everybody's telling the truth? Yeah, like I feel like there's lies on both sides. It's like, what is the actual truth that even happened? Because, I mean, the truth of the matter is like a lot of people freaking died that day unnecessarily. Um, and I feel like you know someone's lying or both sides are lying and you know the people who actually could give the true version of the story sadly did not live to be able to tell what happened um so with both stories you know obviously completely different from one another the outcome remained the same obviously you know people died and People were sent to prison. They're still in prison. Um, Tamara was charged with felony murder and using a firearm during commission of felony. Mark Bells was charged with felony murder and using a firearm during commission of felony. And Jamal Biggs was charged with felony murder and using firearm during commission of felony. Um, and then Mark Kaizen, he was charged with felony murder. So that uh is massacre number two on good old saint Aubin street part of me for a second was like i kind of want to like just drive past the street just to see it but then i'm like maybe that's a bad idea i don't know what this street is like obviously it's not great <laughs> i mean we were just there i mean we were downtown that's a that's a completely different vibe <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, in my mind, I want to drive past it, but then if I was actually there, I'd start having a panic attack, and I'd be like, no, let's leave. Especially after some of the future stories you're about to tell. Yeah, yeah, because, um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was, um, massacre number two. Um, and you know what, folks, it does not stop there. The final one that happened on St. Aubin Street um, is a bit more recent, and this took place on September 3rd. You know what's funny? Each one was the third and the fourth. Hence, that's why we're telling them today. Uh, yes, but it's just weird. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought maybe you were just catching. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, like I, I was aware, but it's just weird that they all happened on the same street, and they all happened pretty much on the same date, obviously different years. But it's just like kind of weird. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, kind of like Amityville, three fifteen. Yes, the same same like, murders, like repeating history, repeating. Yeah. Super weird. So yeah, this happened at one forty three a.m. on East Jefferson and Saint Aubin. So forty three year old Janet Kendall went on a walk with her boyfriend. Um, while walking down the street, they both kind of noticed a jeep it was like a dark colored jeep and it just drove past you know nothing crazy um and for some reason it just stood out to them because i guess it it just felt weird like they felt like something was about to happen which i get what i get what they mean i'm sure everybody has had this feeling before where nothing weird even happens but you just have like a strange feeling about something oh all the time i get weird like almost like an intuition or like a, a gut feeling like something's not right like I, I need to like exit this place right yeah like it, it just you, something just doesn't sit right like you, your mind just knows more um so while returning from the store someone inside the jeep opened fire on them so their gut intuition was correct um the gun shots hit the woman in the head and police found her wounded and she ended up sadly dying at the hospital she was described by her family um, as a sweet woman and you know she was truly and they were all just truly hurt that someone would just randomly kill her um, 19-year-old Devin Green later in the month was 
found and charged with the killing of her, of Janet Kendall. Um, so it was nothing was in connection. Like, you know, she didn't know him. There was no like significance to this killing. So, yeah, it was just a random open fire that I guess he felt like he just felt like shooting someone. So he just shot out of his car, which is actually a lot more common than you think. And it's really sad that people just randomly shoot people just living their lives, like walking down the street. So, yeah, there wasn't too much to that story as far as like details and like, you know, there was no plotting and no back and forth and things like that. But um, just very, very sad and stupid and senseless. And the fact that this also happened on the same street is just it's just wild. So, yeah, guys, if you're ever in Detroit, avoid <laughs> avoid St. Albans Street. Uh, I wouldn't recommend going there. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend and is it, it a coincidence that the girl's name was Janet as well? Right. Oh my God. Ding, ding, ding. I did not even realize that. That's weird. And now the girl in the previous story, her real name wasn't Janet, but they used the name Janet. So that's either way. That's still freaking weird. That's insane. Wow. I did get the info from crimeinthemitten.com and onlyinyourstate.com. So shout out to them for providing us the knowledge. <laughs> so I downloaded, um, there's a book. Um, I wanted to read the whole thing or listen to it or something. Um, and it was advertised on Kindle, but it only sent me, it kept saying samples. 16 pages I have yet been able to find the full book to (laughs) order or listen to um and I think it's called the occult massacre of Detroit so if you want to listen to the free couple of pages to read for free on Amazon um but in there it says the legend of St. Albans Street Many say the land where the family lived near the corner of St. Alban and Mac is haunted. There have been reports of headless men seen wandering around, along with disembodied voices and screams. The house was demolished some years ago. All that sits in this place is grass. Um, So, again, like Crystal said, I mean kind of make you want to go down the street i want to see like like is it like the headless horseman like well you know what's weird what i thought about when you said um people see a headless man um benny in the first story was decapitated that's yeah that's kind of what i was thinking too and like the screams and the disembodied would be his kids oh my god um but yeah, so the book title, yeah, it's Detroit Occult Murders. Um, and it says that it details a string of murders between, between 1929 and 1931 and all centered around the street. However, when I downloaded it, I only got a few pages. Um, it says sample on it. So Boo. Uh, if anybody's <laughs> read the book or knows any more about it, feel free free to write in chime in we'd love to add to this talk about it read any kind of details you know about it have you seen the headless man because i'd like to maybe kind of see it just for a second because then i'll pee my pants and get scared and run away but yeah i'll throw you'll be peeing your pants and i'll be throwing up like yeah i'm not kidding like part of me I'm so torn. Part of me wants to drive past it because it, it's so close to us. Like, like it's got to be like 30 minutes max from where I'm at. But also, I don't. <laughs> I'm super torn. You know, also the fact of, you know, people that are still alive with crime or, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Young both- women driving around Detroit not knowing where we're at or what we're doing. Yeah. Both sides of the spectrum freak me out. Like the haunted side and then also, you know, the actual people. <laughs> Apparently. I mean, do you remember, not remember a drive trying to get out of Little Caesar? Oh, my corner? God. I don't know yes. how my car survived. <laughs> I know. I told my husband about that. I was like, oh, my gosh. 
so chaotic. <laughs> um, but after that horrible story, I want to leave you guys on a, well, I want to say a high note, but <laughs> so this is one of my dumbest criminal stories. Yes. Love these. <laughs> So there's this trio of drug thieves, and this is in Silver Springs, Florida. And, you know, they think it's their lucky day. What better plan than to break into someone's house and steal three jars of cocaine, right? So that's what they do. They break into this lady's house. They steal three jars of cocaine. They think they hit the jackpot. They're all like ready to go back and party. They go back, they snore all the contents of it. Wasted no time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, but that's when they discovered that the jars were really, in fact, urns <laughs> and that they were snorting the remains of the woman's victim husband that had passed away and her two dogs oh my god the disrespect but also the hilarity i cannot (laughs) so freaking dumb big fail on that one big fail (laughs) i hope not only are they like in trouble for you know breaking and entering and thief but i hope they're freaking haunted for the rest of their lives i hope every time they close their eyes they hear darts barking and i hope every time they open their eyes or look in dark corners they see the husband just standing there like making like a stupid funny face i don't even care what he's doing but i hope he just goes hard at him and is just like stuck with them forever i feel like they have to at this point like be possessed by the husband and the dogs because they literally inhaled them (laughs) Like they literally inhaled their burnt up corpses like into their body. Oh my god, that cannot be that cannot be good for their but, insides. Not that the not that cocaine really is either, but I'm, I'm I'm not the smartest girl, I'll tell you that, you know. I disagree. Um, I've never dabbled in drugs. I've never done coke or meth or any of it, okay? Yes. Like <laughs> I just want to put that out there just just so people know. Okay. Wait, what? You've never done meth? <laughs> no, no, I, I haven't. But I've never done cocaine, never interested my never was curious about it, didn't want it in my bodies, whatever. Same. I feel like cremation dust or whatever, <laughs> what I don't know what you call it, ashes. Yeah, yeah. Or like a tan, gray, brown, sandy, burnt color. I so would, where co- cocaine is more of a white powder flower color. Yeah. So wouldn't you kind of like. Like be like, this doesn't look right. Like they might not think that it's ashes, but like they might be like, well, this doesn't look like cocaine. Like to me, I would just be like that. I don't know. I'm not a genius, but I, I think if someone laid a, a bag of Coke in front of me and a bag of ashes, I could tell you which one was which. Yeah, yeah. You can see the difference. I mean, people try to pack baking soda and pass all that kind of shit in like fake drug deals and stuff all the time. Like, so I'm assuming Coke is more of a white color. Just assume. Yeah. I only you know, know I, I really only know from like movies. <laughs> like I'm 100 percent honest. I was I gonna no say idea. that, but I didn't want to sound like you, like you yeah. just did. <laughs> <laughs> like like Lamo. <laughs> I've been in I've been in vicinities where people have done it, but I haven't really like watched, so I don't really know. Yeah. So that was just my thought. Like, yeah. No, these these guys are a different, uh, different breed. <laughs> But that made my night. Um, I'm going to tell everybody that story because <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. Tell your friends, tell your family. Yes. Spread it around the world for everybody to hear. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. That uh, that wraps up season two, episode one. Yay. And get freaking ready. Like literally get ready for 
next week. That's what I'll say. Buckle the fuck up because it's going to be a ride. Yeah, it might be our first. It's going to be a two-parter for sure. Um, May even lead into a three. That's how big the story is. But we'll see what we can do if we can make it into two or if we're going to make you guys log back in for that third week. Yeah, I mean, either way, it's worth it. You know, if you're into like, you're obviously into dark shit because you're listening to to this podcast. But yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot. Yeah, that's what I'll say. It's just, it's a lot. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. <laughs> yes, I can't wait till Saturday. Kay's coming over and we're finishing it up. And we're going to go hard. We're going to have a, my husband's out of town. My daughter is going to her dad's house. Um, it's the first weekend of me in the new house by myself. Um, Kay's going to come over and we're going to have a true crime day. We're going to go hard on all kinds of things. We're going to brainstorm. We're coming at you hard season two. Hells yeah. (laughs) Hells yeah, guys. (laughs) So get freaking ready. And I'm pumped. All right. Oh, she's doing the fist bump. Fist pump, whatever. Two Jersey Shore references this episode. That's good. That's I'm proud of that. <laughs> I would turn Pike, but you guys don't want to see that. I promise. Man, love a good Jersey Turnpike. Well, maybe Saturday for you, but all right, all right. You guys have to. You guys have to earn that. <laughs> so don't forget to freaking subscribe. Okay. <laughs> well, until next time, peeps. You know what to do. Stay creepy. We got to go. Bye. Bye.